All right, good night. Ridge Point Church, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Man, the band is kicking us off worship this morning. Here's the deal. At the very end, we have a lot going on this morning. Obviously, we already had baptism. Uh, we have some special guests who are going to come up here and share a little bit about a mission they're uh, going to be a part of here very shortly. Some video stuff to go along with that. But at the end of this morning, we're going to one more time gather together as a church. We're going to worship. The band's going to lead us. And I want there to be freedom as we worship this morning. We're singing these songs about God breaking the chains in our life, and we want to be able to do that. Uh, a lot of times when I get up here and, and talk, I get a chance to share stories just kind of about life and some lessons that I learned growing up. And for me, a lot of that revolved around baseball. I played a lot of baseball. I started playing baseball when I was five years old, and I played all the way up through college. And so a lot of what I learned through life was things I learned playing baseball. And, and for me, my favorite year out of that whole time, my favorite year playing baseball was when I was 14 years old. And, and we had a really good team that year. We went on to play. We won our league division, played in the city championship, and I had a chance to play on All-Stars that year and travel a little bit with the team. And so for me, that was a really, really good year. And if you'd seen a bunch of the other games, you probably thought that. But there was one game that year that if you watched just that one game, you'd say, J.J., you're not having a very good year at all. If that's the whole body of work you saw was that one game. Uh, that particular game, I went, I think I was batting, I uh, hit like 0 for 3 that game. Didn't get any hits, didn't do really well. That wasn't all that uncommon. But what really set that day apart, why I remember that some 25 years later, is because when I was catching, I was a catcher. And I kind of prided myself. I wasn't the best uh, batter. I didn't hit particularly well. I was okay. But I prided myself on my defense. I always wanted to do well. I worked hard at being a good defensive catcher. And it was kind of on the back of that that I made the all-star team. And that year, I, that game I was catching. And I knew that it was a close game. And they had one of their best runners on first base. And I knew there, there were no outs. He was probably going to try to steal on me. And so I was set. And if you're a catcher, you kind of get kind of prepped when you know a guy's going to steal. Uh, you kind of get prepped that when you're about to catch the ball, you're kind of ready to squat it and jump up and throw the ball. But the thing was, earlier that day, it had rained quite a bit. And it kind of cleared up, and, but the field was still a mess. And, and so the ball sometimes rolls around the outfield, and it gets really, really wet. And it's hard to hold on to a baseball when it's really wet. And so I see the guy take off, and he's going to go to second. And I jumped out of my stance, and I, and I went to throw the ball as hard as I could because I was sure I wanted to get this guy out. Only when I went to release the ball, it slipped entirely out of my hand. And instead of going on like a rope to second base, because I knew it was going to take my best effort to get this guy out, the ball went like 35 feet up in the air. Like it was like a high loop, and, and the ball didn't even make it to second base. It was like halfway between the pitcher's mound and second base. If the guy had been paying attention, he probably could have been at third base before the ball landed. Like he slid in the second, and everyone's like still waiting for the ball to come down. And I was embarrassed. I'm like, I cannot believe I just did that. I wanted to go like bury my head in the stand. It, it wasn't a good moment. And here's what I was convinced of. If there are people in the stands watching me play for the first time that day, and they think, wait a minute, this guy's on the all-star team. Why is he? He's terrible as a catcher. Why is he, why is he even part of this team, let alone an all-star team? The thing is, sometimes as we progress in our walk with Christ, the goal is that we get better at the things that we do. Not that we ever fully attain perfection, obviously, but that at some point through the discipleship process, through us learning and growing about Jesus, that we get to be more and more like him. And if, if people look at the full body of work, maybe they see that happening. But let's be honest, if they look at a couple of days of our life, if they looked and said, man, I thought you were growing, but this day, this particular thing happened. Or maybe for a short season of your life, a bunch of bad things were happening. And if they were just to look at that, not seeing the full body of work, but just look at just that, they'd say, where's the evidence of you walking with Jesus at all? Where's the proof that you really believe the things that you say you believe? 
This week we kick off a new series here at Ridge Point Church called Proof. And it's a little bit different. A lot of times when we gather together as a church, we gather together for things like worship and we have some stuff that we're doing as a church we like to let people know about. But then when we get up and speak, a lot of times we talk through series. Sometimes they're six weeks, sometimes they're four weeks long. And we talk about a particular topic. And here's the deal. We believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe it's entirely relevant to our lives. But I'm convicted that sometimes the way that we read Scripture or the way we talk about Scripture, while Scripture is very applicable, the way we read it and the way we talk about it sometimes is not. And so we try to do our best to say we want to talk about some topics in a relevant way so people understand, comprehend it, and can apply it to their lives. And so we'll do a series like that. But today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to kick off this morning with a series called Proof. And the, the series Proof is all about the first chapter of the book of James, which is a very applicable, applicable book in the New Testament. But then throughout the year, at different points throughout the year, we're going to pick up James chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. And by the end of the year, we'll get all the way through James chapter 5. And so not every series will be based on this, but a lot of the series, we're going to walk through the book of James because it's a very relevant, very applicable book about how our faith is made real. And so just if you journey with us throughout the rest of the year, there's a couple things I'm going to ask you to do. First of all, for this series in particular, first of all, James is only five chapters long. Very simple. It's a small book. And so I'm going to ask you, if you come back next week, at some point in the next week, read those five chapters. If you're already having some sort of devotional time, some quiet time with God, add this to it. It won't add, add a chapter a day. You'll be able to get through it before Saturday. If you're not, this is a great place to start. So in the next six days, read through James, the five chapters of James. And the second thing, I know it's very simple when we get here, the words are going to appear up on the screen. But if you have a Bible, bring it along with you. Maybe there's some things you want to jot down, some notes that you want to take, some things you want to highlight Bring your Bible with us, especially for this series. But we're going to get into this, James chapter 1, in just a second. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. But before we do that, as we get into James, one of the things, as we look at any book, but especially a book of the Bible, there are some things at the outset that we just want to have some level of understanding about. Uh, If you're picking up a a book and you want to find out, okay, who's the author of the book, uh, when did they write it, what, what time period did they live, and that's true for anybody, if it's something Charles Dickens wrote or something Shakespeare wrote. You want to know when did they write, what was their purpose. And the same thing when we approach Scripture, we want to know things like who was the author, who were they writing to, what was the date, what was their purpose. And so real quick, as we kick off this series on James, I want to look at some of that information. Uh, First of all, this one's a gimme. The book of James is authored by who? James. You got the first question right already. Good job. Uh, Now the question becomes, though, which James? Because just like today, there, in fact, right now in this building, there's a couple of James that I know of for sure. And in fact, some people don't know this. My first name is actually James. I'm James Joseph, but I go by JJ. So there are a lot of James today in this building, and there are a lot of James live in the time of Jesus. So which James is it referring to? Well, we know this, having come through Scripture and having you know, experts looking at archaeology and stuff like that. This James was known as James the Just. He was also a pastor in the church in Jerusalem. So when we talk about the purpose of this book, his purpose is he he writing to to Jewish Christians about how to make their faith really practical. But we also know this about James. At least most experts agree that this particular James was actually the half-brother of Jesus. How does that happen? Well, Jesus didn't have a biological father. Mary was his mother, and Joseph later on became a father figure in his life. But biologically, that wasn't his father. But Mary and Joseph did have children. In fact, over in the book of Matthew, it says this about those brothers. In Matthew 13, 55, is this, talking about Jesus, is, not, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? 
And are not his brothers James, the James we're talking about here, we believe, Joseph and Simon and Judas. And we see this not just here, but in other places as well. So the James that writes this book was actually the half-brother of Jesus. We know this about him is that early on he didn't necessarily believe the message his brother brought. In fact, if you can imagine, how many of you right now are, are younger siblings? Right now, you have an older brother or sister. Do you guys know there's a pressure that comes along with that? Especially if your older sibling did really well in some area or they're particularly obedient. Mom and dad will look at you and say, why can't you be more like your brother or sister? Like, they never got in trouble like this. Why are you doing this? Imagine for a second your older brother is Jesus. Those are some big shoes to fill right there. Mary and Joseph are looking at their sons and they're messing up saying, why can't you be more like him? And so as a younger sibling, James dealt with that. And so we read early on, he probably didn't really accept the message. But later on, by the time this happens, he becomes a leader in the church. He becomes really behind the message of Jesus. And he begins teaching other people that message. So James, brother Jesus, half-brother Jesus, wrote this. He wrote it particularly to the audience of people that he's speaking to are, are Jewish Christians. The purpose of why he wrote it. Uh, he doesn't come out and clearly state it. It would be great. Sometimes we read scripture where it says, this is why I write this. He doesn't say that, but there's one particular verse that I want to look at over in James chapter 2. That if I were to summarize, this is why James is writing this. This is a big deal. So the verse is this. Over in James chapter 2, verse 26, the second part of it says, So, so also, faith apart from works is dead. James is writing about, here's how faith is supposed to work itself out. Faith separated from works is dead. He's trying to say there's a faith. The faith is the thing that sets us apart. But if our faith doesn't at some point in our life produce some level of works, then something is missing. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, a lot of people like to quote that in church. And they say, it's by grace we're saved through faith. And we believe that entirely. The only way we have salvation, the only way we have access to the Father, that we have the, the privilege of going to heaven is by grace through faith. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, not the things that we can do unless we could boast about it. So our faith is totally based on grace through faith, not on works. However, Ephesians 2.10, the very next verse says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So it's not that our faith saves us. I mean, it's not that our, our works save us. Our faith saves us. But once we have that faith, that faith begins to work itself out. Now, James is very practical, and he gets into some of those, uh, those ideas and how our faith starts to work itself out. And in fact, if, if we're, one of my favorite uh, characters in church history is a guy by the name of Martin Luther uh, he, you know, 15, 17, he had a lot of big things that were happening. He really began a movement in the church. And Martin Luther, early on in his life, was, was a, a lawyer. He had a legal mind. And really, he had this view in his life at, at that point of saying, I fear God, but I don't love him. In fact, he said at one point he hated God at this point in his life because he was so afraid of him. But then he was teaching on Romans 1, 16 and 17. And he came upon this verse in Romans 1, 17 that changed his perspective on God and the church entirely. Romans 1.17 says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he read that and he said, Wait a minute, this idea of righteous, which is legal mind, he understood to mean that's how I am declared just before God, is not based upon the good things that I do. It's based entirely upon faith. 
And so once he got that, he had this new picture of grace. He, he came to embrace God and to love God and to teach people all about God and grace and faith. And then he picked up the book of James. It says, I see in, in Romans the idea of grace through faith, and I see that throughout it. And then I see James, and James is talking about faith without works is dead. And in his mind, he couldn't reconcile those two things so much so that he actually at one point called James an epistle or a letter of straw. He says, I'm not sure about that whole James thing because in his mind, these two things contradicted each other. But I'm here to say that what James is teaching and what we're going to talk about is not that it's salvation, that salvation comes uh, through faith and works, but salvation comes through faith that works. We have to get that. There's a careful delineation there of those two ideas. We have to get that. You see, if, if I thought that I had to work to earn God's favor, then I would do the things that, that I do because I say, man, in order to earn God's favor, I have to do these things. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to go to church. I have to do all these things to earn God's favor. Then I would do those things because I have to do them. But if I realize that salvation comes fully through faith in Jesus, now it's not that I have to do these things, but that God has now set me free, that it becomes my desire. It becomes my appetite to start to do these things. I don't have to do these things to earn God's love or his approval. He's already done that for me on the cross. But once I have that, now in me, it frees me up to be able to follow him. It frees me up to be able to serve him. It frees me up to extravagantly love our community. It frees us up as a church to build homes in Honduras, to to love people where they're at. You see, the good things that we do for Jesus is proof of the faith we have in Jesus. And really that's what the series is about, is how do I have proof in my life of the faith that I say I possess? I love from time to time being able to meet, I love often being able to meet people who who take that to the next level and say, I, I have this faith and I want to see that faith worked out in, in a big way. And a couple of months ago, through some mutual friends, I had a chance to meet Eric and Hannah Bell. And we sat down in my office a couple months ago and, and they shared kind of their story. They said, we're here in, in town for a little bit. We just kind of want to share what we're doing. And, and, and I heard their story, which is an incredible story. But more than that, I had a chance to, to hear the heart and kind of hear their focus on, on missions and I said, man, if you guys are ever back, I'd love for you to come and share your story a little bit with our church. And so real quick, we're going to share a short video that talks a little bit about the ministry that they're joining. And then Eric and Hannah are going to join us this morning to share exactly where God has them right now. So check out the video. So this is one of those ways that, wow, this is loud. Thanks, guys. <laughs> this is one of those ways that we get to show our works or show our faith through our works. Um, it was, it's interesting going through this series, we think about how God uses us. He really doesn't need us. He doesn't even need us to sing to him. He says he'll have the rocks cry out and he really doesn't need us to save anybody or to help anyone, whether that's here, Indonesia, Africa, it doesn't matter, but he allows us to, and we get to, and it's a privilege. Um, and we're really humbled to be a part of this and to be able to be here and share with you a little bit about what we're doing uh, what you saw in the video is uh, is from Indonesia, which is where we're headed this year. Uh, I'm a pilot and an aircraft mechanic, and Hannah here is fantastic with people. If you've ever talked to her, it's pretty apparent. Um, so we work with a group called Mission Aviation Fellowship. Uh, we serve all over the world. We're in over 20 countries, um, and we basically support isolated people. We show them Christ's love 
so that they can be physically and spiritually transformed. We work as a support group for people like New Tribes Mission, um, Wycliffe, if you've ever heard any of those guys. Um, we're the ones who get them to where they need to go. Um, like Eric said, uh, we are really, really glad to be here. Thank you so much for having us. And um, if you didn't know, Eric actually went to Liberty University with Luke and Tracy Hammer back there, even before they were married, and with Ben Ships back there, too. So they were quite the troublemakers and still are. But um, we're blessed to be here and to get to know you guys a little bit. This is little Chloe. She's really excited to be here, if you can't tell. But um, we just wanted to thank you also for just the work that you guys are doing. We came in September and um, met with Pastor JJ and just talked about what you guys are involved in and the things you're doing locally and overseas. And we left totally encouraged. And um, we just praise God when we get the opportunity to meet churches and individuals with their own stories and seeing how you guys are using your gifts to glorify God. And it's a great thing that God chooses to use everyday people. Don't you agree? (laughs) It's a great thing that he chooses to use our everyday gifts and abilities to serve him. And what a privilege, like Eric said. Um, Both Eric and I were given the privilege of being raised in Christian homes. And Eric's dad was in the Navy, which played a huge role in his love for aviation, and which ultimately brought him to a naval base in Maryland, which is where our paths converged. We were two middle school kiddos um, in youth group together with absolutely no intention of ever being more than friends. <laughs> he, um, After all, I wanted to be a missionary my whole life, and Eric wanted to be a pilot in the military, but God had bigger plans, and I'm really glad that he did. I went on a missions trip at the end of high school, and it was on that trip that God really got me serious about my faith and changed my heart from the military, ultimately to missions a couple years later. Um, I I basically asked my pastor for guidance. Hey, I like to tear stuff apart and put stuff together. What can I do besides drive trucks for a living? And uh, he said, there's this thing called missions aviation where you basically fly into the isolated areas of the world and and you maintain your planes and you still get to have a major part in spreading the gospel around the world. Uh, So I went to Liberty University, as Hannah said. Uh, God provided means to get my flight all the way through flight instructor ratings and uh, maintenance experience debt-free. Knowing my family background, this is a financial miracle. Um, We still praise God every day for being able to do that for us. Um, Hannah decided, since she'd always wanted to be a missionary, she took some Bible courses, and she learned that there's 7,000 people groups out there that don't have the Bible in their language yet. Um, And that's not even accessible. I mean, we've got it on our iPhones, and they don't have it in their language anywhere in print. Um, So this became a conviction as as well as one of mine. And this kind of brought us together from semi-hatred to we got married. (laughs) Long story short. So we've been married a little over two years. Uh, Chloe here has been with us just over three months. Uh, Great, wonderful little traveler with us. Uh, When we got married, we picked a family verse, um, two verses actually. It's Romans 15, 5 and 6. It says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask ourselves often, how can we, one, be unified, and two, bring glory to God? 
Um, and we believe that this is through our service with MAF, between my skills in aviation and Hannah's much better gifts with people. We love that video that we got to show you guys because I think it gives you a really good picture of the things that God's doing and the things that MAF gets to be a part of. We find that really exciting, and we're so excited to head over there in June. Um, Something that I've learned from Eric is that it takes a whole team of people, pilots, mechanics, um, ground crew, to keep a plane in operation. But in order for us to do any of this, we also need a team behind us, and we praise God for just the team that he already has given us. Um, we have been support raising since last February, and we are really excited to tell you guys that we are at 100% of our monthly support. So that is a huge praise the Lord. (laughs) So we are um, still raising some funds for, like, one-time initial setup fees, things to cover um, training, passports, visas, language school, that kind of stuff that adds up. Um, And we're also looking for just the power of prayer. So if you guys could pick up a prayer card and um, whenever you think about us, just please pray for us. This is definitely a new adventure, and we are absolutely stoked um, that there's going to be a lot of learning to be done And as we learn to just be parents in general, let alone overseas. So um, that we would just be effective in serving the Lord wherever we are and whatever we're doing. We have a table set up in the back. We've got some prayer cards, some other materials, a calendar. I don't know what else we brought, actually. Um, Feel free to sign up on our list. Grab whatever you like, except our sign-up sheet, and uh, we'll be around afterwards. Please come talk to us, and thanks again for letting us be here. And, you know, sometimes you just meet people, and right from the beginning, you just kind of feel like there's a bond, and, and it's awesome getting to know them. So if you have time at the, at the end, please uh, go over and kind of hear their story and share uh, your story with them as well. Real quick, we have just a little bit of time left, but I do want to get into the beginning of James. So if you have your Bibles, open up James chapter 1. Uh, James begins this by saying, James, a servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, we believe this is the half-brother of Jesus. So if James wanted to say, here's why I have authority, he could have right here said, James, a servant of God and the brother of Jesus. But he doesn't. He says, listen, here's who I am because of how even my, my own brother has changed my life. I'm coming now as a servant of God and a servant of Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the Spurgeon greetings. And then he gets right from the get-go. There's very little introduction. And he gets right into the practicality of how our faith is made real. And he begins by saying, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So he says, here's what we're supposed to do when we face trials. We're supposed to count it joy. So I don't know if that happens in your home, but I don't know a lot of us that when we face trials, maybe there's some financial difficulty, we don't turn to each other and high five and say, yes, another problem we're facing. Like that doesn't happen a whole lot. That seems kind of anti where the rest of us want to go. We don't want to face trials. But James begins this by saying, listen, when you face trials, it's time to give the high fives. When you face trials, count it all joy. And he's speaking to a church that is dealing with a lot of trials. He says, when you face these trials, count it all joy. You're not rejoicing in the trial, but you're rejoicing in what the trial is producing in your life. So he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet these trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith, what that trial is doing in your life, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So he says, count it joy because when you have these trials, these trials have the ability to produce a steadfastness in your life. See, when we face trials, there's a couple of things that can happen. Now, there are some people who face trials, and all they want to do is whine and complain about it. Like, they're going to get up on Facebook, and all they want to do is let all their business out there, and and I'm going to go, and I'm going going to complain about all my trials. Well, they're not really learning from their trials. But when we say, when we can have the, the mindset to say, God, I see this hard spot in my life. And instead of me going to talk to everybody else about my, my problems, let me begin by conversing with you. Let me begin by asking a question, God, what are you trying to produce in my life through this trial? And if we do that, a couple of things can happen. First of all, when I face trials, it produces a greater dependency upon the one who owns that trial. When I face trials, and, and we face trials on a routine basis, when I, tra- when I face those trials, I can turn and say, God, I have no control over this situation. This thing just helped, th- th- this thing happened. I don't even know what happened, but it just happened. And I have no control over it. I can't fix this, but God, I know that you can. If, if there's a maturity about me, this trial can produce a steadfastness in my life, a reliance upon God saying, God, I believe you're in control of the situation, even if right now I don't like it. It's producing in my life a greater dependency upon you. The second thing it can produce is a a more mature worship. You see, when we go through seasons of life where there's trials, where there's conflict, it produces a greater appreciation for the very things we sing about, for the things that we experience. For someone who's been bound by some sort of, maybe there's some sin in their life or there there was something that happened and they felt the bondage and Jesus showed up and he freed them from that bondage. Then when they get together and they start singing about break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, they're singing from a spot where their heart has already experienced that. And so they sing it with a greater appreciation. They sing it with a greater freedom because they say, God, that trial that I didn't like five years ago, it has produced a more mature worship in my life right now that I'm not just saying words, but that, God, this is the cry of my heart. Break these chains because those chains are still there. God, I've experienced freedom. Help me to break more chains. And the third thing it talks about, the third thing it brings, is it brings wisdom to our life. See, a couple of years ago, quite a few years ago, I was a young youth pastor, and, and I, I honestly, God had done a lot of great things in our youth ministry. And then it was just blowing and going for a long time, and there were some really cool things that were happening. And then I had a couple of, of weeks where it kind of got rough, and there was one night that I can look back to right now, and I can say, man, that was the roughest night I've ever had in ministry. There was a bunch of stuff that was happening in our church at the time, and there was turmoil, and I walked into a meeting, and the meeting got ugly. And I walked away from that meeting with a lot of questions. Like, I was heartbroken leaving that meeting. And I left with a lot of questions. I left with questions about the church. I left with questions about my own calling. I, I, was, I was in tears. I called Beth on the way home saying, I don't even know what to do. Like, I'm just heartbroken about the situation. The thing was, that meeting was on a Thursday night, and normally Friday was my day off. But that particular Friday, I'd been asked to speak at a career day at a, at a, at a school. I said, so not only do I have this trial, that I, and now i got to go to talk to a bunch of middle school and high schoolers about how I love my job, and right now I have a lot of questions about it. And I walked into our church that morning. I had to gather some stuff together. And there's a men's Bible study that happened in our church every Friday morning. And I was walking by, and normally there were seven or eight guys that were there meeting. 
And so I thought if there were seven or eight guys, they're going to kind of be engaged, and I had to slip past them to go get something. I said, I'm just going to be able to slip past. They're not even going to see me. And I walk in the door, and there's only two guys meeting that morning. I'm like, it's not going to be so easy to slip by anymore. And so I started to walk by, and they're like, JJ, great, you're joining us this morning. I said, guys, I'd love to, but i got to be out of here in 15 minutes. Like, i got to go to the school. And they said, great, then we got you for 14. I said, okay. I said, I need this right now anyway. So I sat down. And I'll never forget, again, this is probably seven or eight years ago. I sat down. They said, actually, we just started reading the book of James. And they opened up to these verses. And he said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I said, that's my story right now, today. And he said, because you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And it was as if at that moment the guys that were talking were no longer talking. But God was communicating to me. Saying, J.J., I know you're going through this trial right now. But that trial, you're going to learn more from that trial than you have all the other good stuff that's happened. When we go through those trials, it's not that we rejoice in the trial. But sometimes we have to weather the storms of life to get the outcome we're longing for. And the outcome is that we may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. When we go through those trials, God is refining us, getting us ready for something better. So maybe right now you're going through those trials or maybe those trials are coming. That's okay. God can use those trials in your life to make those things, the, the refining process come about. Sometimes it's difficult, I know that. But we can rejoice not in the trial itself and not rejoicing that I have this financial difficulty or that I have this problem at work. But I rejoice that through this it's going to bring about a greater dependency upon God in my life, a more mature worship, and that through that God can give me wisdom. Let's pray.